1: Hello, everyone. Happy Wednesday, you guys. Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. My name is Savannah, if you are new here, and I am your host of this podcast. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every single Wednesday, and you are not going to want to miss it. Today we have another unsolved case, and this is the unsolved, brutal, and gruesome murder of the Bricka family. In 1966, Jerry, Linda, and Debbie Bricka were found in their Cincinnati, Ohio home after being brutally killed killed. This case definitely is one that leaves you with more questions than answers. And I'm very excited to hear what you guys have to say about it today. So with that being said, let's get into it. So let's talk about who the Bricka family was and who they consisted of in the bricca family you had gerald bricca who went by the name jerry and in 1961 jerry married a woman named linda in seattle washington jerry worked as a chemical engineer with a company called monsanto and linda worked as a stewardess for american airlines linda started this job in 1961 and ended up meeting jerry just three months later And after they got married, they had their first and only child, a little girl named Deborah on June 6th, 1962. After having Deborah, Linda decided to step away from being an airline stewardess, and she transferred into becoming a stay-at-home mom. And after Debbie was born, the Brookas decided to relocate from Seattle, Washington, and move to Cincinnati, Ohio, and they moved into a home on 3381 Greenway Avenue in a neighborhood called Bridgetown. The Brickas moved to Ohio in 1963, and three years later in 1966 is when Linda decided to go back to work. However, instead of being a flight attendant, she decided to get a part-time job at a local veterinarian office called the Glenway Animal Hospital. And at this point, as well as at the time of the murders, Linda was 23 years old. Jerry was 28 years old and Debbie was only four years old. As far as their reputation in the neighborhood, the Brickas were a very well-liked family and well-respected by their neighbors. They're described as the type of neighbors who were always hosting the family barbecues and family holiday parties and were always having people over at their house. And for all things considered, they were living a very idyllic life. However, in September 1966, everything changed. Now, let's talk about Sunday, September 25th, 1966, and let's run through the timeline of what that day looked like for the Bricka family. On Sunday, the 25th, at 7.30 a.m., Jerry arrived at work, and it wasn't unusual for him to work on Sundays, and it was an 11-mile drive from his house to his job. At 9 a.m., Jerry then left his job to go to the St. Aliasis Gonzaga Church to attend the morning mass, and that at 10:30 a.m., Jerry stopped at the work road shell station to get gas for his car. And by 10:50 a.m., Jerry was back at home and seen by his neighbor, Richard Jansen. And the two of them exchanged a small conversation. By 12:10 p.m., Linda had called in a prescription of hers at the Walgreens located at the Western Plaza. And by 12:25 p.m., Jerry went back to work. Then at about 4 o'clock PM, it was said by residents who lived on Lawrence Avenue, which isn't that far away from Greenway, which is the street the Brick has lived on, something a little unusual happened. At around 4 PM, it was said by residents who lived on Lawrence Avenue that there were two men going door to door, knocking on the front door of houses that were on Lawrence. Lawrence, like I said, is not too far away from Greenway, and the two men were also said to have gone to Greenway after. However, we don't know if they knocked on the door of the Bricka household. The people who opened the door to these men described them as two clean-cut young men that were dressed in suits taking a survey for their church and were asking people to participate in that. Now, authorities have pleaded with the public after the Bricka murders to have these men come forward for some questioning. However, to this day, no one knows who those two young men were. Now, on the 25th, Jerry clocked out of work at about 4.25 p.m. and was seen at Walgreens at 4.40 p.m. to pick up Linda's prescription for her. The pharmacist did confirm that Jerry was alone when he picked it up, and Jerry was at home by 6.45 p.m., and that is when he got a phone call from a coworker of his named Glenn Ritchie. Glenn and Jerry were scheduled the following day on the 26th to travel to Virginia together for work, and according to Glenn, he said that Jerry had offered to pick Glenn up from his house at 6.30 a.m., and the two would carpool to the airport together, and then they hung up the phone. At 8.45 p.m., Jerry went to the United Dairy Farmers store on Glenway Avenue to pick up three and a half gallons of milk, and the woman who worked at the store said that she knew Jerry as a returning customer and said that he was alone when he walked into the store. The last time Jerry was seen was on Sunday, September 25th, between 9 and 10 p.m., taking his trash cans to the curb for them to be picked up the following morning. Linda's father also called the Bricka house on Sunday at around 10 p.m. to talk to Linda and tell her that he and her mother were about to leave on vacation, which she did answer the phone and they had that conversation. And that is the last known time anyone spoke to the Bricka family. The following day on the 26th, Jerry was scheduled to fly out to Nitro, West Virginia for work, and he had a 7.05 a.m. flight and, like I said, was going with his co-worker Glenn. However, Jerry never showed up to Glenn's house to pick him up like they had planned. Glenn did call Jerry three times between 6.45 and 6.50 a.m., thinking maybe he either slept in or something might've happened. However, Jerry never answered the phone. Glenn then decided to drive himself to the airport thinking Jerry would just meet him there. However, that never happened either. Now, the following day on September 27th, 1966, the Bricka's neighbors started noticing that they hadn't seen the Brickas leave their house in the past two days. Their trash cans were still left on the side of the curb where Jerry had left them that Sunday night, and their cars had also remained unmoved in the driveway for those two days. Along with that, their next door neighbor, a man named Richard Mayer, had thrown a newspaper on their front porch. However, no one ever picked it up. Richard also called the Brickas multiple times, however, no one answered, and that is when Richard decided that he was going to walk over to the Brickas and knock on the door, just make sure everything was okay, and he decided to bring along another neighbor, a man named Richard Jansen, who Jerry was speaking to on a Sunday, and the two of them walked over to the Brickas' house together. At about 10.40 p.m., both Richards walked over to the Brickas and noticed that their front door was unlocked, so the two let themselves into the house. Immediately when walking into the house, Richard Jansen knew that something was wrong. Richard Jansen was a World War II veteran and said that when he walked into the Bricka home, he was immediately reminded of the smell of a decomposing body. Being a war veteran, this was a smell he knew all too well, and when walking in, it hit him immediately. The house was two stories, so the men walked upstairs after scoping out the downstairs area, and when they walked upstairs into Jerry and Linda's bedroom, that is when they discovered the bodies of both Jerry and Linda lying on the bedroom floor. Jerry was face down on the floor in between the wall and the bed, and Linda was face up laying across. Jerry's body. They had both suffered from multiple stab wounds and both appeared to have been beaten. Next, both Richards walked down the hall into Debbie's bedroom, and that is when they found Debbie dead on her bedroom floor as well. And the way Debbie's body was positioned was completely stretched out in the middle of her room, which suggested to authorities that she could have been hiding underneath her bed or in her closet, and someone could have dragged her out from underneath it. After discovering all three bodies, the Richards immediately called the police. Now, when authorities arrived on the scene, they began their investigation and noticed a couple worrisome things throughout the home. The first thing they noticed was that both the front and back doors were closed but unlocked, so there was no sign of forced entry. The Bricka's also had two dogs, and these dogs were named Thumper and Dusty, and both dogs were found unharmed but locked in the basement of the house. Authorities also saw that there was some clothes in the dryer as well as folded clothes on the couch, which suggested to police that Linda was possibly doing laundry at the time all of this unfolded. Authorities also found the Bricka's Indian carving knife set made from teak wood and a six and a half inch knife from that set was missing. And to this day, that knife has never been found and is presumed to be the murder weapon. Now, in terms of how the bodies were discovered, Jerry was fully clothed, however, he was not wearing any shoes. He had a sock stuffed into his mouth and a piece of adhesive tape on his body, which suggested to police that he and Linda possibly were tied together. Linda was wearing an unzipped hoodie sweatshirt and a nightgown underneath it. Jerry's wallet was found empty and laid out on their bed, and Debbie was found wearing a flannel nightgown and one red sock, while the other sock was found on her bed. Authorities also discovered a bundle of 15 strands of short braided hemp rope in the garage and believed that that also could have been used to tie Jerry and Linda together. Now, the wallet being found on the bed brought up the thought of robbery being the motive here, and that was all brought into question, however, because nothing else from the home of any value was taken, the robbery motive pretty quickly got ruled out. The house in and of itself was basically all cleaned up by the time authorities got there and the only thing that was out of place were the fact that the drawers in Jerry and Linda's bedroom dresser were all open. However, nothing was taken out of them. Authorities really swept the home for any fingerprints or DNA and collected all evidence. However, nothing ever came from that. But it's also important to note that by the time authorities had arrived to the Bricka household, the word of what had gone on had already started circulating through the neighborhood and neighbors were walking in and out of the house, which thoroughly contaminated the crime scene. Now, as far as cause of death goes, Jerry had suffered nine stab wounds while Linda suffered and the medical examiner concluded that Linda had been raped. Now, Debbie had suffered from four stab wounds, and because she was only four years old, the knife went completely through her body. The medical examiner also stated that the stab wounds on Linda and Jerry happened between 10 p.m. and 6.30 a.m., the night of the murders. However, they were not able to determine who was murdered first. So based off of those facts, it's concluded that the murders more than likely took place between 10 o'clock p.m. on Sunday, September 25th and 6.30 a.m. on Monday, September 26th. The police conducted about four hundred interviews in their investigation, and when doing so, they spoke to Richard Meyer's wife, who told police that on the Thursday before the murders, she remembered seeing a suspicious man walking back and forth on Greenway Avenue, which was the Bricka's street. Richard said, quote, she was out in the garage painting tables, and she saw this man walking back and forth. She wondered about him, but she says she couldn't identify his face now. End quote. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but we will be right back with more of the Killer Instinct podcast. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? dot com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you apartments.com the place to find a place this episode is made possible by pwc when unprecedented times are all the time it's time to start walking the talk leaders like you turn to pwc to see and stay ahead upskill your workforce use intelligent automation and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human led, tech powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. All right, you guys, welcome back. Now, the Brickham murders were not the only murders that had taken place in Cincinnati at this time. At the time of the Brickham murders, there were seven unsolved murders in the Cincinnati area that had occurred over a time span of 10 months. These included the murders of four women, three of which were raped and strangled, and the other was stabbed and ran over by a taxi. Then, on December 2nd, 1965, a woman named Imogene Harrison was found dead in the basement of her apartment building. Four months later, on April 4th, a 58-year-old woman named Louis Dant was found dead in her apartment, and shortly after that, a 56-year-old woman named Jeanette Messer was found dead in a park near the University of Cincinnati. The police named this killer the Cincinnati Strangler, however, to this day, have never found out who it was. Of course, with the murders being in the same area and being so close in the time frame of when the Bricka family was murdered, authorities wondered if this could possibly be the same person. However, they eventually ruled this out because the Cincinnati Strangler seemed to have a specific type. They targeted middle-aged to older women and they really never targeted any families. So because of that, it was easier for police to rule out the fact that this probably was not the Cincinnati Strangler. Now, here's in the investigation is when we need to introduce a new man and this man is named Fred Leininger and Dr. Fred Leininger was a 36 year old veterinarian who owned the Glenway Animal Hospital. He opened it in 1957 and if you remember from what I said earlier, that is where Linda would eventually work at. Now, Fred had a wife and four children and by the time that he died, he was also a grandfather. Prior to working there, Linda Linda had sent her pets to the Glenway Animal Hospital for years leading up to her employment there. So she definitely was familiar with Fred and on Monday, September 19th, so we're literally just talking a little over a week after the murders, Linda walked into the hospital and said she loved animals and she always wanted to work in a vet's office and they decided to hire her as a part-time employee and she was going to be scheduled to only work on Wednesdays. On Friday, September 23rd, Fred then stopped by the Bricka household to drop off a book that Debbie had left at the office. However, when he got to the house, Debbie was playing outside in the front yard, so he handed the book to her and didn't see Linda or Jerry during that visit. Now, here is where the bomb gets dropped, though, because at the time of her death, it was said that Linda and Fred were having an affair. Now it is unclear when this affair could have possibly started because Linda was using the animal hospital for three years before working there. So it really could have started anywhere in between that time frame if this is true. And the autopsy showed that Linda did have sex with someone within the 24 hour period before her death. However, this person was not Jerry. And it was after the rumors of the affair came to light that police basically backtracked on their statement of her being raped and so they took that statement back and said it was possible that Linda could have had sex with someone else if she was having an affair and it could have been consensual. Now something that was interesting was that when authorities were searching through the Bricka house when they first arrived on the crime scene is they found a piece of adhesive tape like I mentioned earlier. However, this was a very specific type of tape. It was actually a type of tape that only veterinarians use. And many people who knew Linda told police that she had a male friend who she had been having an intimate relationship with. And along with that, there are multiple people who have said that they have seen Linda and Fred together parked at different lovers lane spots. And there were multiple people who saw Fred at the local convenience store on the night of the murder and said that he was acting erratic and strange. Now, something else that's very interesting in this case is when the authorities recovered the dogs, Thumper and Dusty, it was noticed that they had been given a sedative to keep them quiet which, again, is really something only a veterinarian would have access to and know how to properly distribute. Now, authorities wanted to speak with Fred after the murders, and he was one of the 1 out of 400 interviews that they conducted. And the first interview they had with Fred lasted about 10 minutes. And something that police said was odd was the fact that Fred didn't ask any questions about the murders. One of the detectives said that the way Fred spoke was, quote, clinical and aloof, end quote. He didn't seem shocked or saddened at all by the murders. And then he did a second interview. This one was a 45-minute interview with authorities where he basically denied having an affair with Linda, which you have to remember, he was a married man at the time, so that's not something that he would just openly admit to, even if it was true. And along with that, after the second interview, Fred refused to cooperate with authorities any longer. He refused to give any DNA samples and stopped talking to the police and made them talk to his lawyer if they ever were wanting to communicate with him. Now let's talk about theories because there's a couple here and honestly, it just leads to more questions. Like I said in the beginning, this case has way more questions than it does answers. Now, the first question I have in this case was, is this a one-person job? To take on an entire family, have enough time to sedate the dogs, and not get caught in the process seems extremely difficult. Along with that, these houses where the Brickas lived were very close together, so the fact that no one would hear anything is very odd, which to me leads to the thought that whoever is responsible for this is someone that the Brickas knew. The dogs in particular were said to not be friendly dogs, and one of them, I'm not exactly sure which one it was, but one of them was also said to act very aggressively towards men that he didn't know. So, it does make you wonder if this was someone that the dogs were familiar with as well, and that's why they didn't bark. There was no sign of forced entry and a lot of people believe that the reason Debbie was murdered is because whoever did this was someone that she knew and someone that she would have been able to identify and they had to take her out in order to not get caught. People have also had differing opinions on whether or not they believe that this was a crime of passion. Crime of passion tends to be less methodical, less planned out. They're more messy crimes. However, the crime scene at the Brickas was anything But that. The murder weapon was never found, the house was not ransacked, everything was cleaned up pretty well. However, taking out the whole family and doing it in such a grotesque manner makes people think that this is a crime of passion, especially the multiple stab wounds in each victim, including Debbie. Stabbing usually more often than not indicates a crime of passion. That is what detectives had said for years and years and years is that stabbing, the act of stabbing someone typically is a crime of passion and you have to be very angry to stab someone that many times. In total, the family was stabbed 21 times. That is 21 times that someone stabbed the members of this family. And you have to have a lot of strength and a lot of anger to do that. Now, the first main theory here is that Fred was responsible for this. Whether it was him and another person or just him on his own, this is a really, really big theory. The connection of sedating the dogs and the vet tape being found on Jerry's face is too close of a connection to merely be a coincidence. People have said it's possible that Linda either ended her affair with Fred and he retaliated, or maybe Linda was going to tell Fred's wife about their affair and she was going to leave Jerry. There are countless reasons if something went south in their affair as to what could have been the motive of these killings if Fred was responsible. However, Fred has never been charged with this, and he also passed away in 2004, and there are conflicting reports on whether or not he committed suicide or just passed away from old age. Some say suicide, some say he passed away in a retirement home, and there are also, the reports that say he committed suicide, there are also reports that say him and. And his wife committed suicide on the same day together now with these reports of suicide it has brought about a bunch of questions about did he commit suicide because he felt so guilty about the murders. However, with the conflicting reports, it really is hard to tell on that one. Another theory in this is that this had nothing to do with Fred, and this was a crime of opportunity. This brings me to the two men in suits walking around asking people to take church surveys. The going door-to-door is not an unheard-of strategy for killers to get a bearing on their victims before they attack, and the church survey thing almost seems a little too good to be true. However, we don't know for sure whether or not the men ever went to the Brickett house. However, there's no way we would know that by now. Having it be two men in my mind makes more sense to me. However, you would think picking a home that had two dogs in it would not be high on your list of prospects also what would their motive be why would they want to take out this whole family if it wasn't a robbery if they didn't steal anything of any value from the home why would they possibly want to take out an entire family including a four-year-old little girl however it is a little questionable as to why those two men have never come forward if it was that they were simply just wandering the neighborhood giving people these church surveys Why wouldn't they come forward and be like, yeah, it was us, we had nothing to do with it, here's our church survey. Why, after all of these years, have they refused to come forward? That, to me, makes it seem like there could be something questionable here. I also saw theories out there saying that this could be a murder-suicide because Jerry was stabbed in the back and Linda was stabbed in the chest. However, like I said earlier, the murder weapon has never been found. And when talking about the murder weapon, I think it's interesting to note that the murder weapon came from inside of the home. Assumingly, Authorities assume that the murder weapon was a six and a half inch knife that was missing from the Bricka's knife set. And let's say that was the murder weapon. Let's run with that theory for a second. Why was that the murder weapon? Does that mean that whoever committed this didn't show up with the murder weapon? And if that's the case, did they show up with the intention to kill? Meaning... Is this someone that hasn't even been looked into yet because they're so unassuming? Was there an argument that went very, very south? Or did something else happen where the murderer came with a murder weapon and maybe Jerry grabbed his own knife and tried to go after the killer? However, the knife fell out of his hands and the killer just used that instead. There are multiple different reasons as to why that knife would be missing. Maybe the knife was just missing in general, however, I think we would have found that out by now. But those are our theories, you guys, and I cannot wait to hear what you guys have to say about this one. Let me know. You can either email me at killerinstinctpodcast@gmail.com. You can DM me on Instagram. I just at killerinstinctpodcast. I am so curious to hear what you guys have to say to me i'm not fully convinced that fred was responsible for this i think that there is a big possibility the whole vet links of the sedative and the adhesive tape are very telling but the two men walking around for the church survey definitely rubs me the wrong way too but let me know what you think and that is going to be it for me today you guys make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button that way you never miss an episode like i said we post weekly here every single wednesday and you're not gonna want to miss it I will be back next week with a brand new case for you guys and until then stay safe
0: so I I know you've got a lot going on but remember I'm here for you so bother me when no one's listening because I will bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can bother me because you're never a bother Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.